again. I'm so grateful to be in conversation with Rochelle Faithful. So welcome, Rochelle. Thanks for being here. It's so good to be back. I know this is, I, I think you're one of the first repeat guests I've ever had on the podcast before. And oh, that's, that's an honor. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I loved our conversation. We had, I think it was about two and a half years ago that you came on. And I met you in a conversation that you led around white supremacy in spiritual communities, particularly looking um, at spiritual bypass, or maybe that was just the theme that I really took from the workshop because I've really had to work through my own journey of spiritual bypass. And today, I, I think this is the next step we're gonna take in our conversation is to kick off this series on magic and reality, even though we're gonna focus a little more heavily in magic in this conversation of looking at if we're not spiritually bypassing, so not just saying everything on the surface is great, then, um, but there's actual reality to deal with. How do we, how do we bring a sense of possibility and inspiration spark magic into the conversation? You um, are associated with Thick Press, which is uh, something, a place that I published my book, Self-Carefully, and we got to be in a, a really cool collaborative conversation. And um, you had a question about magic that you would, Put out there and we didn't get to it and so i think this podcast is the the response to that question of i wanted to have that conversation with you before we dive in i want to introduce you and read a little bit of your bio rochelle faithful pronouns they them theirs is a multidisciplinary folk healing artist and healing justice practitioner rooted in the african diasporic tradition of conjure they were born in Washington, D.C., raised in Virginia with a strong affinity to their Southern family line in Georgia, Alabama, and Texas. Faithful supports national and local activists of all backgrounds, particularly leaders of Black liberation movements. They are known for creating spaces to help activists identify and process trauma and invest in healing justice frameworks. Um, Faithful is a former shaman in residence at Freed Body Works. Before formal shamanic initiation, Rochelle was a healing-oriented community organizer and people's lawyer. So already we're feeling the reality within your magic there just from, from your bio. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I'd like to start off just by defining what magic means and, and really like how you come to understand what, what that word means for you and how has that helped to shape uh, your perspective and your process in the world? I really love this question. It's one that I come to pretty frequently because I think the meaning evolves through my own life experiences, some expected, some unexpected. But these days I'm thinking about magic as all phenomenon that we don't yet fully understand. And sometimes that can seem like, um, you know, little shifts in our lives that just feel miraculous to you know, major events that change the orientation of how we do think about reality, you know, question what we know and are really existential and ontological. So for me, magic is really about entering into the mystery of our lives and the world. And within that mystery, um, a sense of just how forces that exist, dynamics that exist, um, and, and the, the forms of connection that we have uh, operate in ways that we, we might have some insight into, but really are um, 
you know, just, just observable or knowable to us, but just barely. So I think about magic really broadly. And um, it's been helpful to, and very grounding to think about magic as not just being like this esoteric thing that either entertains us or um, only very like special sacred people can do. It really is about, I think, something a lot more whimsical, a lot more um, just uh, engaging than, than anything else. And I think a lot of us can experience a lot of different magic in a lot of different ways. So it's a more kind of a creative definition of magic in some ways than, than necessarily a, uh, you know, very uh, like scientific imperial definition of magic. It's almost like the scientific doesn't quite have the framework to hold it when they feel into it. Yeah, not, not yet. It'd be interesting when it does. Uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you this, like I, I longed geeked out to quantum physics. I remember being like a middle schooler rummaging through our library being interested in physics and not because I am particularly like I identify as like a science geek or someone who um, even excelled in a lot of uh, different science, science courses, but I was always captivated with this, these different and novel at the time, right? Ideas about how the universe worked. And it's interesting to now read and learn about um, quantum physics and all the different breakthroughs and like, um, you know, I've tracked like popular physicists like Brian Greene and others who try to explain uh, the multiverse to us and try to explain to us how um, particle experiments can demonstrate like multiplicity and all these other things that you know many other people have described in different ways but it's it's I love the edges of science that are I think getting to some interesting things but you know much much of our world is not there yet. Have you always had a relationship with magic or is that something that you've had to come to develop in your life? I think like many people especially people who believe that magic is every day, that I, I do have some relationship to it, but I would never have called it magic and only began to call it magic when I entered into what some people call like the magic arts or healing arts in some cases where there's magic within some of those worlds. And I, I, I think for me, um, there are a number of different experiences when I was younger where I just had like deep intuition about things. And um, it could, I understand those experiences now as both being like rooted in intuition, but also rooted in like deep perception. Um, but it, it, it felt like I was able to like see something or understand something before it actually occurred or it was manifest. Um, and I thought this was just like how people were in the world. I didn't, I didn't think it was particularly special. And I, I, I still debate whether it's special. I think we all have abilities to uh, experience magic and also to manifest magic. Um, but to me, there, there's a magical quality to that. of just like, oh, I feel like I understand something that's not yet understood. Um, and those hunches became really important as I decided to, to devote much more time 
to healing arts because those hunches actually were really intelligent. Those hunches were um, whatever, you know, forces I was tapping into. Um, it, it, was, it was helpful. It was in indicating things that if I allowed just myself to follow them, I would be led into, um, you know, the mystical, but also led, led to um, other truths and realities and insights that I think I otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't have. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I can imagine there's not a lot of people who say like, yeah, I grew up with like a lot of magic around me. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's not something I think my family took very seriously. I think there was some like way I grew up where there were magical aspects to um, like places I visited. Uh, there's my late grandparents who lived in Eastern Texas, lived on a lake, which itself probably isn't remarkable to a lot of people, but held a lot of magic to me and for me because it was something about the, um, um, this, this really, um, to, to me, it was a very interesting ecosystem. It really just like swampland and swampland felt, just felt very <laughs> magical to me. Um, probably in part because there are just so many parts that you can't see or know, right? The depth of the water and what's in there or these uh, like willowed trees and the thick moss and what exists there, the heaviness and thickness to the sky and what is like even brewing in the weather. There, there was a magical quality to it, especially at night. So I think like many people I describe like landscapes and places as magical, but um, and these experiences with intuition is magical. But that's probably as much as I can like even reach back for now. And it's, it's a great question. I would love to be in that conversation with other people about how they experience magic growing up too. Well, I, I look at my, my kids, especially my three-year-old and he is just in a world of magic right now that it's all pretend that he is just seeing anything he wants to see. And he's, he's like really, loving the world and it, it brings me back to that state in myself where I was like if I didn't see it and I wanted to create it I just created it in my mind and I was there and I would play there and then and then we like leave that like and I, I can't tell if we leave that because we have to <laughs> because that's like just what's required of maturing and being an adult um, or if it's just what our our society does to us, which I want to talk about why our society has a problem with magic yes. and why we don't talk about this, but it, it does, I, I'll say that as a, an adult to be able to land back in magic through the work that I do, I related a lot to what you're saying about those hunches and that, that what cuts under the intellect and what feels like when you hit the main line of it, it's like so real. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like it's such a, it's such a blessing to be able to, to be in that world, I feel. Um, well, you, you call yourself a street shaman, which I love that, that term because it's so evocative and I don't totally understand what it means. <laughs> so I, I'd love to hear more about what that, what that means, how you see yourself in that realm. And then also to how you would explain, um, shamanism, which I, I see as a, a place that I've accessed a lot of magic to someone who has no idea what we're talking about right now or never experienced it. 
this is, I'm writing about this, so this is actually a really helpful way to see if I can articulate this uh, clearly. So shamanism to me is our indigenous medicine, uh, the ways in which um, connection to nature, connection to community, connection to um, ancestors, connection to other forces that make up our lives, um, some spiritual and psychic, um, and the ways that we know how to heal and recover. Uh, all that knowledge, all those tools, all those practices, um, and how they're passed on over time. So, um, I, I'd like to remind folks that, like all of us, have indigeneity. We come from some place that, that had a life that was connected to a place, um, and meaning connected to a place and the, the ways that we lived our lives and um, found ways to survive and beyond. And what shamanism, the modern shamanism context is a little strange because first we're in this world uh, in modernity where a lot of us are having a very different relationship to place. Um, whether we have migrated voluntarily or it's been forced, um, um, or, or we, we had little choice but, but to leave where we were from, um, some of that distance in our ancestry or lineage can keep us really distant from these indigenous ways. Um, so a lot of people find modern shamanism and are confused that like first it still exists. Um, and outside of what, you know, this, this stereotypical like small village, uh, smart remote village, probably outside of the United States where there are these um, old practices that still exist and a medicine person that holds that knowledge and those rituals and those practices. And often I find that people are also really confused that there are like so many different traditions and um, often shamanism is attributed to our indigenous uh, peoples and nations um, in Turtle Island and, and the North American continent and the South American continent. Um, and Mesoamerica. And um, we have to remind folks that like, yeah, wherever we were, <laughs> there were indigenous practices and shamanic practices. Uh, and many of them are, you know, um, have not been evenly archived or remembered or passed on, especially through oral tradition. Um, some of those practices um, have had to adapt over time for a variety of reasons. And some of those practices um, are, are sometimes occasionally integrated in our in, in our even modern lives. We just don't know the sources of them and the roots of them, which is always really interesting, right? When we learn like roots of songs or roots of dances or even instruments and what their purposes may have been uh, when they were originally created uh, and stories among many other things. So um, I, I'd like folks to, to, to understand that shamanism is, um, something that is very, uh, really locates us and really helps identify, it's a really broad umbrella term to describe a, a multitude of um, medicine and medicine making. And in the modern context, there's, there's people still practicing. There's a lot of people who are going back to reclaim uh, different 
uh, shamanic and similar like ancestral technology, as I call it sometimes. And it can be delicate because there are also folks who have, um, you know, made different ethical choices about whose medicine to claim and also um, how to claim it, right? Because we even think about, even if we have an ancestral lineage that we are uh, remembering or bringing forward or making more visible that often the people who can do that come with their own privileges. And that's something to name as well, including myself, right? Like I'm able to, there were certain conditions in my life that allowed me to go through the project of remembering um, the lineages that are connected to me and uh, African diasporic people who, who were enslaved in the US South and to continue to study and learn and to talk about these practices in a shamanic context. So for me as a um, conjurer, um, which is often understood as a folk, folk healing practice rather than shamanic practice. And it's been a very political project for me to I view elevate it to a shamanic practice. Um, and I say that with a little bit ambivalence because like I love being of the folk, right? Like I love how regular people can practice magic and how regular people have practiced magic. And even regular people that were not defined as people can practice magic. And yet it does feel important, um, especially just in the context of anti-blackness in the world to make sure that like it gets seen as shamanic practice because it has all the other elements. It is medicine that was um, really became unique because you know there wasn't a single kind of like uh, tribe or people, right? Who had the privileges of staying together that made these systems of magic in the US South during the slave trade. Um, so it really became this eclectic um, mix of knowledge that people brought with them, that they learned here uh, once they were here, that they uh, learned from others as well and, and created to make their own, right? And uh, that's the medicine that I've had the honor of claiming over the last eight or more years now. And um, that that is one way to understand shamanism. Thank you so much for sharing and educating us. Um, I'm a student of Ayurveda. That's what I study. And that's the, one of the frameworks that I really work with in my life and the world. And it's a big part of Ayurveda is that you, you need to, you need to go back and study your lineage and um, like your lineage. <laughs> I think about the cultural appropriation that sometimes somebody else's lineage is going to seem a little bit more interesting or exotic in the moment, but the healing is like actually comes from like you going back and listening to your ancestors and eating the foods of your ancestry and doing the dances and smelling the smells. And it's, I think it's hard. And this is where I want to go next in the conversation. It's hard in a, a country like the United States where people are so displaced from like Ayurveda says seven generations back. And like, I don't know that many people who really know seven generations back where that place was in their family. But there's, uh, there's so much medicine in it and so much healing in it. And I, I don't think we always know to look back to, uh, to find that healing for ourselves. So um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on why we have so little space for magic in our culture, our current, like kind of mainstream culture within the United States and, um, and what the potential, especially right now in this, this like great breaking open that I feel mm -hmm. in our culture, like what's the potentiality to, to consciously bring in something that feels is non-relevant and yet 
like as we're talking about very relevant <laughs> at like magic in our in our cultural conversation thank you for this question it's a really great question i think magic is powerful and, and it's, it's another form of power that um, especially when connected to a lack of understanding is probably uh, the most feared. So to me, um, magic has probably always been really threatening in American life and the, the empire that we exist in because um, it's, it's, it's power that is less controllable. It is power that can't be commodified as easily. And it is, it is about um, people's ability to create, which I think could also be inherently you know, threatening to um, a country that believes so fervently in individualism um, and so much in progress in a rigid way that believes in uh, hierarchy as well. So I think all those things, um, many folks have stood to benefit to um, think about magic as being a joke. And, you know, that includes, I think, a country that also was founded like very much in enlightenment ideas, right? That there's rationality is really the only valid way to know. Um, and to uh, to test and magic is uh, a realm that certainly I, I think it's actually coexists really beautifully with what we understand rationality to be. And yet, um, again, I think that fear factor is really uh, gripping to so many people, um, at least I would say culturally, because uh, I, I know magic exists in very different ways in different places, right? But I, I, what I do know is the uh, US experience um, the, the best. So I, I see this as the systemic reasons and cultural reasons why magic is, I think just not taken very seriously. Um, and, and, and even um, when it is taken seriously, it's, it's seen as in the realm of imagination. Um, and even though many of us who, again, are artists and creatives, imagination um, is a vital part of what we do. <laughs> um, it can be part of our identities. Um, and even like increasingly, like I think about designers and technologists are beginning to value imagination differently. I think imagination has been relegated as um, the opposite of real and the opposite of productive, the opposite of meaningful. And I think there's, as I'm thinking about it, like, it sounds also like really gendered, <laughs> like that, that is the work of children and the work of like um, uh, unproductive work, which can be like feminized and, you know, puts it in a corner. Um, while also fearing it, right? Which is a paradox also as a black American, I know super well. Um, so th that's my, my working theory, right? So it's, I can imagine it's particularly scary to open up that box to say like, oh, magic is uh, in fact, another real aspect of our lives. Um, it can't be controlled in the same way. 
can be controlled by the same people and it has tremendous power. I can imagine that just, it's a hard proposition for a lot of people who are so conditioned around those other values. I read the tarot. That's one of my forms of magic. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I've done hundreds, if not thousands of tarot readings over the past seven years that I've had cards for myself and other people. It's the, the tarot has helped me so much to learn and understand myself and understand the world. Mm. And, um, you know, whenever I encounter people who don't know what it is and I can see it, like the fear comes up really strongly for them. Like, what is this? And it's um, the people that I found that have been able to kind of be like, I'm, I don't understand this. I'm a little like even turned off by it, but I'm also intrigued and they can go with their curiosity. Like those, those readings that I've done have been some of the most powerful ones that I've done of just the way that like some of that magic can sink in. If, even if it's just like a tiny little crack that we're sort of interested, even if we're kind of closed at the same time. Yeah. And so I, I just like want to say that for anyone out there who's like, this is kind of like interesting, but I also feel like, no, like, <laughs> like what is magic? I still, because there's a lot of cultural conditioning around, like, as you said, not thinking that it's valid or fearing it at the same time. Um, and I, I think the more that we can just create a cultural conversation around it, um, which I'm starting to see more and more of, and hopefully this piece is part of it as well. Mm -hmm. We can, we can get, um, yeah, the door to open a little wider for, for some of us. Well, in this series, I want to, I want to talk about magic and reality. This, uh, these first conversations are going to be more about magic, but I think we need to talk about reality too, because as, um, as, as you know, as we all know, that there's a lot of reality in this um, this age that we're in right now. Just, uh, there are a lot of inequities that are just the seeds that have been sown into this culture that I think we're all trying to reckon with right now. Of how do we how do we move forward? And and so how do you how do you keep your magic in the face of so many really challenging realities? And what is what's the benefit of bringing magic into um, just what is what is really challenged? Um, in terms of reality for our world right now. As we're talking, I, I think I'm actually gonna go a slightly different direction than I usually think about magic. Because um, part of what you asked me earlier is about street shamanism, which I didn't really answer, but it really was just like what it means to just um, believe in your own access to, to magic and power and like just like wear a hoodie and be in the world and not be uh, some like obscure, you know, you know, sacred person that is uh, doing things over there. It is about being of this world to me. And for for the magic that we hold to um, have impact on us in practical ways. It doesn't mean it has to be used, but it means like it can have an impact on us in ways that are not separate from the reality that we actually um, have to operate in, even though we might also be in other realities. So I, I think, I even think about, I, I wasn't go, like raised particularly religious, but I, um, I did grow up in a, like an evangelical, like suburban community. And it astonished me because I didn't understand it at the time, how many folks believed in prayer. And I'm like, isn't that, as I look back at it now, I'm like, oh, that's an incredibly <laughs> magical idea that, um, you can say words or hold a intention or need or wish and it can 
somehow then be reflected in the world. And obviously prayer has so many different contexts and the, the transmission of how that happens is mysterious and varies vastly, but like, that's a deeply magical concept. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I, and I think about the, the lineage that I, I come from um, and I think about what you need to survive the worst circumstances. Um, and, you know, to be literally in bondage and not have control of your body, um, your labor, your, um, your world and what it means to um, believe in something other, whether that is a sense of hope where there's no signs that you should have hope or the, you know, efficacy of uh, herbs to to heal wounds when when or or sickness or illness, um, or to even um, have the the emotional resilience and endurance to reunite with a family member um, and try to find them. So, as a descendant of those those people, I think about magic and the reality of magic just, just being already so woven into each other. Um, magic is not academic or for scholarship. Magic is the kind of imagination, uh, the kind of uh, relationship with other realities or possibilities that allow us to exists in the brutality of this world because it can be a really brutal world and I think we are increasingly seeing that um, not only brutal world but chaotic world right and I'm, I'm actually not a person who um, I don't know some people have described some of my beliefs about magic as being like chaos magic um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I agree with that but um, it there is something I think powerful in thinking about okay in our, you know, in this awakening that's taking place and the, the chaos and uh, the, the, the violence of it, what can continue to ground us in even being oriented to what is real, what's truth, what are alternate facts? And I think that's actually gonna be a perennial question for us for many years to come. Um, I think there's, it is important that our sense of reality is expanding. Um, and maybe that's what magic affords me. And those of us who believe in magic is an expansion of reality rather than the unraveling of it, which is, I think is what alternative facts world gets us into. Um, in part because that expansion for me is in service to not only kind of our day-to-day -day living, but also like how do we continue to understand our interdependent lives and our collective lives? Um, magic has the ability to allow us to understand that better. Um, if we allow it to be this sense of possibility and imagination and seeing for what yet is maybe not in one form of reality. So, you know, even 
the idea of magic, it's funny because even though, again, I, I didn't grow up particularly religious, um, not especially spiritual, there's something about my conditioning that might be true just to the Black American experience where magic is inherent in just what you believe about what is uh, in the future or the futures that could exist for you. So there may not even be that like a deep discernment between like what's magic and what is real. What is real just has a magical quality to it. Mm. I, I think that's so powerful what you said about um, expansion versus un unraveling <laughs> when, we're, when we're faced with complexity and we're in a really complex time. And I, I know that like the tendency um, for me when I'm in complexity is to kind of narrow and contract. And, yes. um, and I think like that's not really an option right now for many people. So I think that the options do become like either you spin out and like you unravel or you expand and what what I've really learned about complexity is that like, um, don't try to solve it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You make space for it and you, you get curious about it and you can, yeah, you see how much you can move around to hold it. So expand is so wonderful. And, um, and just how, how you framed like this hyper individualistic culture that we're in <laughs> right yeah. now um, is such a huge paradigm shift to, to start to, uh, to start to pay attention is what's coming to me that like, if, if like, if you never want to pick up a tarot card, if you're not interested at all in like the word shamanism, um, but like, how, what does it mean to just pay attention in our lives? And I think that's, that's right. so much of what our current culture is, has conditioned us against is actually like taking in sensual information. Like we've been yes. taught to numb as a way of life and we numb through our fear. Mm -hmm. We numb through our, um, you know, addictions and our compulsions, mm -hmm. <laughs> the new cycle for a lot of us right now, that's a form of numbing. And, um, and something I've gotten so much from, from yogic scripture is just like this concept of avidya. It's like what it says, what causes all of our suffering is this concept of avidya, which is just ignorance of our true nature. Oh. And, and the, and I would say the way you come back to it is that you take, you actually literally take care of your sense organs. So you like start to like mm -hmm. take care of like your nose and your eyes and your ears, because you need to like take in information and mm -hmm. you need to like see that flower and you need to like hear that music. And I, I hope everyone out there has had that experience. You're not like, just like listening to music, but you hear it and you're yes. like, oh, that speaks to something in me. And like, all of that is such a potent form of magic for these times. I believe. And, um, and I, and I think it's just important to recognize that like by, by embracing that you're still going to be kind of going upstream of what society is telling us to do right now. Even just doing that. Absolutely. Uh, there's a really beautiful, um, prescriptions even there about like what, how one can, right. Like just be the practice of expansion because you can't think your way into it. Um, at least in my experience, it's got to be, um, yeah, a, a grounded intention to do, to do that expansion. So I'd love that the Ayurvedic texts help us understand that in some more context. And it, it reminds me a lot too, or just like how we really uh, can be afforded so much to just allow, like that, that can be an entry point for magic. Um, I used to call it surrender. It's, that feels complicated to me. Um, but 
just even allowing uh, and to be led sometimes when that we have the discernment to know that's what we need to do. But in a, in a culture that is so steeped in control, and I know that myself, like I've been deeply conditioned to control a lot of things <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, that's the opening you even mentioned earlier, right? If folks can um, just allow a little uh, for magic to enter and that expansion to enter, even that could be rad radically transformative. Absolutely, yeah. I um, and then um, that what you talk about with control is like I think part of this like <laughs> expansion process is it's messy. Is what I what I feel into for myself is that I I can like be all about somebody else's mess and be like you be messy. I know that's part of the healing process, but when it comes up in me, like I'm I was telling Rochelle earlier, like I I'm coming in this conversation like sleep deprived from and a baby that likes to wake up a lot during the night and um, mm -hmm. messy and I'm not organized. And I was like, and I think this is actually like the most porous state for me to have a conversation about magic because my, yes. my intellect is not as sharp right now. And I can just, um, yeah, follow the thread of like, what's, what's beneath that. So thanks. Thanks for letting me show up messy with you. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Whatever you got. It's great. <laughs> Uh, well, I, you know, this is, I, I talk about self-care and this podcast is about self-care. So I, I want to bring self-care into this of, um, one, I'm curious, uh, how you see magic as a self-care as a form of magic or magic mm -hmm. as a form of self-care, if you want to go the reverse. And then I also am curious, like what, what magical practices or what's your cutting edge of integrating magic into your self-care right now? Love these questions. I, I actually, maybe two years ago, there is a gathering called Baltimore Reclaiming that was a group of witches that came together to have a, uh, like a convergence, which was really neat. Um, and I was invited to do a presentation and I ended up presenting on something else, but I, I, I did actually offer a space for us to be in conversation and practice about care as magic. So I do believe that is so true about especially our culture right now uh, in the US, the year 2020. I think care achieves some of the things that we mentioned already, which it, it allows us to actually enter into the truth of our interdependence and collect collective being, right? So we know those relationships between my wellness and your wellness are just so, so uh, interconnected. And the more we actually like feel that and believe that, um, that, that, that form of invitation for care is magical. Um, it offers us the power of witness. It also offers us the power of companionship. It offers us the power of um, intimacy, which are all, I think, really, ways of being that offers a lot of magic at this moment, um, especially in the face of, you know, just like terror and uh, deep uncertainty and so much fear. So care for me, uh, certainly uh, at an individual level, um, feels magical too. Um, I, I think maybe we've had some parts of our conversation before where I just like really reflect on the lack of care um, 
not only like my distant ancestors didn't have, but you know, my parents didn't have. And how um, beautiful it is for me to be able to care for myself, care for loved ones, and to do that in really like dramatic ways, but also in really, really quiet ways. Um, that feels like um, the gift to stewardship of our lives that some of us are not afforded very often. Um, so there's so much magic in that. It, it has a power that moves us and a power that can move others. Yeah, yeah. So what's at the edge of my kind of magic these days? There's a lot of practices I still want to be trying that I've just like entered into, but I, I'm very curious about. Um, one, there are a number of areas, just like areas of divination. I wanna continue to, um, I don't read tarot, but I, I work with Oracle cards. I read smoke and I also, I, the energy healing that I do also has a, a uh, intuitive component to it. Um, the number of other things, um, I use bones, that is a kind of like runes or shells and other traditions. But I think the deepest edge is I'm finishing a death doula course because I've informally done a lot of death doulaship. And this year it felt important to finally enter that class uh, in anticipation of the grief that um, I know was really entering my life in a, a really profound way. So both personally, I had more death in my life at the beginning of this year before COVID and through COVID, just being uh, in, a, you know, in a community role, um, aware that there's deep grieving and not only grieving about loss of life or transitions in life, but transitions in what we know, right? So there's this like, collective heartbreak and seething, right? Like around seizing, not seething, but seizing around what we thought our lives would be like and what we thought we could count on. And that is clearly not true. And I think um, I'm eager to learn how to skillfully hold my, my own grief and to be clear to hold others, um, not because I'm singularly responsible for that, but I feel like we're all gonna be asked to hold a lot more grief more in very different ways than we tend to in the US because I think we're not really great grieving culture. So no, it's <laughs> my current edge, right? I was like, we're, didn't really, we didn't learn this really well um, and don't have a, a lot of like a ton of uh, rituals. And, you know, I, that's not true for everyone, but I'll, I'll say that's true of the kind of uh, dominant culture, I think. Um, and even the rituals that we do have tend to be very temporal, like they'd be, the last a couple of days, but don't teach us how to hold grief long-term um, allow it to change us too. So that's my edge. I've, I've always found that when the, the self-care is, is very aligned, meaning like it's really the thing for you, um, when you really go deeply into it, it opens up a lot of healing for other people as well. So when you speak about that and like, yeah, like, like you learn that grief process for yourself and you, um, you will 
shepherd many people. I, I know you do already, but uh, just to say that out there to everyone, if, if you feel like there's something emerging in your self-care that you're like, oh, is it worth it? Like it's totally worth it. Like it's a form of service when, when you go into it. And what you, what you say about our culture really needing um, more technology, more ritual, more ceremony, yes. more, more vocabulary, um, more acceptance of just sensation. Yes, yes. Is this, that all feels really right on. And I, and I think like in moments, I feel so powerless in moments when I read the news and like, just what are we gonna do? Um, and I don't, I feel, it feels very clear to me, like there's nothing I can really do on that level. Like I can, I can write some people, I can kind of do the little organizing things I do, but it feels like these getting, getting the skill set is, is really like the way to um, control what I can control and, and bring, and, and, and it's magic too at the same time. Most definitely, yeah. Mm. Rochelle, is, is there anything else that you would like to say in this conversation? Anything that feels unsaid? I know it's uh, we're just kind of scratching the little outer surface of what magic is. And that's I think that's the way I always experience magic is like, we could talk about it, we can like dance with it. And at the end, we're gonna be like, what, did, what is it again? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> uh, you know, the, the thing I always stress is how much, um, I, I have this term everyday magic. It really, to me, is something that is already there if we're just willing to allow it and see it and perceive it. So I invite books to to do that, to, to, you know, and this doesn't have to be, again, like, meaning you have to have the same definition of magic that we put out there or described in our conversation. Um, yet, I think, it's interesting to observe how much um, might exist already in your life where you actually don't know much about how it is, <laughs> but it, it is still, and it is true and it is real, um, but it's a very mysterious connection. That's a connection worth just being with and smiling at and being curious about and seeing where it leads you. So that's the only thing I'll offer. Thank you so much. Um, your your presence is just it, it's uh, it's so grounding for me to experience. So I I really appreciate you coming and sharing that with me and with everyone who's listening and um, for opening the door in in some powerful ways for people to think about this uh, what magic is for them and hopefully in a new way. I know that I am. I'm gonna I'm gonna take some of these thoughts and and ponder them into my evening. Uh, for, for people who would like to stay in touch with you, um, or is there anything you'd like to tell everyone about, but share, share those next steps for those who are interested? Um, the only thing I can say is folks are always welcome to go to my website, which is my name, michellefaithful.com. I keep that somewhat updated. I'm going to be revamping it soon. So folks Ooh. can see more what I'm going to be doing, what, what I'm currently doing. That's probably going to be revamped for over a year. So there's that. Um, and I, I had the most, my most active social uh, platform is Facebook. So you can find the Michelle Faithful Folk Healer page and keep up to date with some of the things I get into that are public. And um, I'm also on Instagram. Folks on Instagram, I, I try to remember to use the Instagram. I'm such a terrible millennial. I'm like, oh, Instagram. Uh, so there's three places you can find me, but I'm most active on Facebook and I love to stay in touch with folks. So if folks are have a question or have 
uh, something you want to share from this conversation, I always welcome an email. Awesome. Rochelle, Faithful, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me back, Gracie. This is a great conversation. I agree. And, um, and for everyone out there, yeah, like just see where your door is. Like if, see if it's like can open a little bit more, notice what feels authentic. I think like authenticity is like, I'm coming away from this conversation with that for you to practice um, that, which gives you energy and hope and resilience in the face of what is just some like massive changes that are happening in the world right now. And just always keep good, taking good care of yourself. All right. Bye everyone. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Gracie with Beautiful Life Self-Care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices, more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And remember, keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place.